Hi, welcome to the Corner of Hope and Wellness with Carrie Hill. Thank you so much for following me and listening each week. I just wanted to let you know that season one is coming to an end, and I have so enjoyed bringing you stories of hope, both to your ears and to your heart. And this week, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek into October. I've got a couple of guests that include Misha McKittrick, who is going to discuss the tools that have really helped her heal from the loss of a child, and Katya Litsky, who shares her passion for animals and the healing powers that they have. Also, there's a few moments from episodes that you might have missed from before that I wanted you to take a listen to. So this is just going to get you pumped up for next Monday as we take you into the last month of season one of the Corner of Hope and Wellness. It's modeled for you this this idea of how you bring life into the world and then how you grieve the the loss of life. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that is is amazing and difficult. And I mean, just because you're a newer person in my life, I know you have this beautiful thriving family now. So Mm -hmm. obviously there was a ton of hope if you were to say, I lost a child and I still, still want a family and I still believe in love and I'm still going to create all these, these other things. Um, that's just, it's, it's kind of amazing. So what were some of the steps in between that grief to get you into really kind of embracing these are the, these are the tools that I use and that I, that I understood to be helpful to me. And just to speak to something that you said, I, I think that something that's really important to grasp here is that we go through things in life and it's important to process them. They can cripple us and then it, and then it shuts us down for the rest of our life. And that's not what it's intended for. You know, yeah. what's, what it's intended for is to have a human experience that's very rich where we can reach to other people and hold their hearts with them and for them. And that is ultimately what we gain through going through so much of our grief, right? Yeah. Being able yes. to have more compassion and, and more depth, more depth. So anyway, okay. So I wanted to kind of dive in, first of all, to some really basic ideas of death day, um, birthdays. I remember my dad initially saying, Mish, some people mark death day on the calendar. Right. And they're sort of marking it as a way of when that day comes, I have to be sad. Yes. I I just, I'm just going to interject for a second. It is so important you talk about this because anniversaries become something different in my life. Like when the loss of somebody, I celebrate them in some way. Right. Right. Whereas Mm -hmm. some people, like you said, are marking the calendar. So talk a little bit about then your experience of not marking on the calendar as a day to be sad. Right. I think ultimately for us, we decided we're not going to mark death day on the calendar. We are choosing to celebrate birthdays because that's when we're celebrating their life and we're celebrating who they are, who they are to us now, who they were to us then, everything we've learned from them and the whole process and the whole experience. And I know some people have a different approach around death day and they, they, it's more of a, of a tender day where they celebrate that they became an angel on that day or whatever. I would just suggest that anything that you do, that it doesn't become obligatory. So you don't have to feel sad on a certain day, whether it's death day or their birthday or any other day of the year. If you feel sad, it's okay. Be authentic to that and and sit in it and process it and let it be. But when you're not sad, 
do not feel obligated. Everyone that comes on the, everyone who's on my show is a big, important get. Um, every guest is a big, important get for me because the whole point of it, and then I, and I, I will not, I will not allow anything to change this. The important thing for me is that this is a bunch of people, whether they're like a famous person or, uh, you know, the person who like I see at my local Starbucks behind the counter, they feel the exact same way I do about either yeah. all the animals or just one. And I do not care where you work or how much money you make. And I do not care if you're a vegan or you just love this one cat. I really don't. What I care about <laughs> is that space in your soul, whether it's all of it or just a tiny sliver that is exactly the same because of animals. And I really believe with all my heart that if we can identify and look at it and hold it up and celebrate it and share it and connect through it, it will grow. And that's literally all I want, 100% an agenda. I have an agenda here, which is grow your animal love from wherever you are. Just wherever you are, grow your animal love. That's go, all. Whoa. But also our traumas, <laughs> our traumas really shape who we are. And so much hope and beauty comes out of that. And the other piece is that we get it. We have an opportunity to share with people who might just be in the midst of, of walking through this, which I would love yeah. for you to address for anybody who might be in the midst, because I remember that feeling of being able to hear from people who are further along in the process, which was such another great like piece of hope for me, right? It's just that sense of other people have been there because when you're experiencing some kind of mental health challenge or, you know, which goes along with the trauma, obviously, you think that you're so alone a lot of the times. It's so internal. And to hear other people's experiences are, it's super helpful. So yeah. what would you say, or what would you share with people who might be in the midst of this? Um, so I think first for me, that so there was a lot of trauma when I was growing up, but the sexual trauma is the trauma that, that I, I call the steal your soul trauma. The kind of trauma that says you're never going to be good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, athletic enough, whatever enough. And the truth is that um, that that shame shades everything in our lives. Right. And and it's um, shoot. Hang on one second. I wrote something down that I wanted to make sure I had carry um, that you, you we can't earn self-worth through deeds. But when that's our life, that's what we're doing that's what's working. And it's not until that capital T trauma that um, our foundation shatters, right? And so that was the hardest part for me was that moment where my entire foundation um, was completely shattered. And so hearing other people's stories of there is a next step, like it does, it actually does get a little bit brighter as time goes on and you fully immerse yourself in, um, in figuring this thing out and accepting people's help and support um, and finding, finding your people, right? Finding your tribe, finding, um, finding those three or four people that you truly, truly can trust with 
things that that you, I you know, don't. What were some of the best tools that you have found along your path? I like to say maybe some of those little sparks along the path that you found really helpful to get untangled from this. So probably the most important thing. I mean, once you you have to first and foremost have a really good support system behind you to do the work that you need to do with boundary setting or distancing or any of those things. So having your own therapist or having a really good group of friends who understand and can be there for you when you have a hard experience with a parent or there's some violation and you need to have some perspective because you won't get it from your family. You will not get any sort of validation that your perspective has any merit or that your feelings are worthy or your boundaries are understandable. It's just gonna, you know, it's like Wolverine's tearing at the fabric of that won't happen. So having a support system. But the other thing that I think is so super important is remembering that you're gonna have to tolerate characterizations about yourself that may not be true at all. So as an example, again, one of the things that I have been told repeatedly by many members of my family as a result of setting boundaries is that I'm cold, I'm manipulative, I'm controlling. And of course, I am a fairly sensitive person, so when those things have been said to me over and over and over in my life, I have regularly had to do the work of really checking in, is any of that true, am I doing that? But I've done what I'm saying people have to do. I've had a long-term therapist, I have a group of friends, I can check it out with people that I trust. And so if I regularly get the feedback, no, that's not how you show up, then I can say, all right, my, my job is to tolerate, That's that's a, characterization that they need to have and I can just stand here and say I'm not taking it on a really interesting thing though you're talking about some of those questions and I'm going like okay so we get a couple of messages though right about people who like yourself how are is you're a survivor you know you're so brave right but the underlying thing, right, that's going on for you during cancer is also the anxiety, some of the fear. Now, we don't, you don't get to be, you know, in our line of work, you know that anxiety doesn't get to be seen as brave, right, as often as maybe somebody who survives cancer. So how, how did you walk that line in a sense of being brave and walking through cancer, right? And, yeah. and all the questions and all the anxiety that, that is probably underlying you know, when you're experiencing cancer. You have made me hurt, maybe heard me tell this story before, but it's about my husband. So my my closest, like best friend, like person I love the most in the entire world, um, just absolutely my confidant, my teammate, right? Like just in the trenches together. And when I would say things to him, like I'm in a lot of pain, this is really hard. I don't know if I can handle this. Cancer treatment is cumulative. So what they say is when you're strong in the first one, the next one is just as hard and it builds upon the last one. And so by the time you get to six months, the thought of not being alive 
is something that is in the back of your mind. Not that you want to die, not that you plan on taking your life, but just the amount of pain that you're in, right? And in our work, we talk about what are those, what are those risk factors for suicide or, or someone with depression or someone with anxiety? What does that look like and sound like? And, and I remember saying to my husband, you know, I would never take my life. I would never not want to be here, but I get it. Like it's hard. And I remember when we first started having these conversations, he would put that silver lining around it real fast. Like, yep, but you're such a fighter and very like people, you're so strong. You're so brave. And it's almost weaponized, right? Like don't talk right. about that. You are strong and you are brave and you're going to survive this and you've got this and it's platitudes. Like you don't know that you don't know yeah. you're hoping <laughs> you want me to be strong. You want me to be brave. You want it to all be okay because it makes you really uncomfortable. You don't know what to say. And yeah. so in the beginning of conversations, I reached out and other people sort of push back, including those who are closest to me, like, oh, what you're saying, especially because it's you, right? Like you are strong and be strong. Like that makes me more comfortable. And I said to my husband at one point, cause I finally could verbalize what I was feeling. When I tell someone that it's hard and it's difficult and they say back to me, but you're so strong and whatever, what they say to me is really stop talking about that. Right. What you're saying makes me uncomfortable. Deal with that on your own. And that's not what they mean, but that's what they're telling me. Right. And what I really need from someone is I want you to just be so strong and so such an ally for me that you're okay with not having answers and you'll just sit through it. And you're okay with, with me just crying and not trying to fix. I, I'm not a problem to solve. I just don't want to hold it alone.